Dog Nation, and welcome back to Dog Nation Offseason. I am Kelly Mansell with Dog Nation's favorite millennial, Connor Riley, and we have a jam-packed show today. We're going to try to keep it shorter than last week's Super Bowl, but here's everything you need to know about today's Dog Nation Offseason. We're going to start with a full breakdown of all 11 dogs that were invited to the Combine this year. My good friend Connor Riley is going to tell us what do the dogs need to prove as they head to Indianapolis? And then Connor and I are going to attempt to redeem ourselves and the lack of credibility that we gave all of the former dogs in the Super Bowl this past weekend. And then we are going to start a new series that will start today and lead into the spring. It's going to be a position preview. Who's up next? And today we're going to start with the running backs and the wide receivers. And then we are going to end on some breaking news that occurred today. And I know every man over the age of 25 everywhere was freaking out. I imagine that it was sent in many group chats. So since Connor is a man over the age of 25, at least I think so. We're going to get his reaction to all of that. And that's what we have planned for you on Dog Nation offseason today. Connor, let's start with this. 11 dogs invited to the NFL Combine this year, and we're going to break down player by player, but off rip, who are the players that come to mind that can benefit the most from the Combine? Yeah, I think, wait, hold on. <laughs> I hope Mike Griffith's not watching. Yeah, I think the two guys that really jump out here are Lad McConkey and Kamari Lasseter. Those are guys who have seen as potential fringe first-round picks, and I think if they have successful combines, they can maybe push their way up into the end of round one. They're playing at two relatively loaded position groups, wide receiver and cornerback, and at that back half of the first round, there's not a whole lot of separation uh, between those two guys. And so I think for Kamari, it's going to be imperative for him to go out there and test well given, uh, you know, didn't only have one interception in his career at Georgia and is going to need to match, I think, the athleticism with what he showed teams on tape. And then with Lad, the biggest thing after starring at, at the Senior Bowl in my Mobile, which you were on hand for, mm -hmm. his medicals are going to be very, very important. Obviously, missed time this past season with back and ankle injuries, had a knee injury in 2022 that hobbled him for a bit. So if his medical records come back clean and then he tests very well, you know, runs a 4-3-40, does a very good shuttle time as well, you can see himself pushing him into the back half of the first round. Well, with that, let's go ahead and start doing our player breakdown, starting with who Connor believes is the best UGA football player of all time. It's none other than Brock Bowers. Yeah, yeah I, I think with Brock, again, it, it's tough for Brock because – a tight end is just not valued the same way that I think wide receiver is offensive tackle quarterback. And so he's going to be looking to, I think, just show his elite athleticism, run really, really well there, get in and out of breaks well, do well in positional drills. He's so obviously the number one tight end that there's not a whole lot for him to lose going into this. And it's just going to be a, a team preference of, okay, yes, he's a tight end and, and Travis Kelsey and George Kittle played huge roles for the 49ers and Chiefs. Where does Brock Bowers sort of fit in that? He could go as high as five to the Los Angeles Chargers. I could see him falling down the board a bit and going to, like, say, the Cincinnati Bengals with pick number 18. There's a pretty wide range for Bowers, all simply because a tight end is just not seen as the same value position. He is undoubtedly, in my mind, one of the five best players 
in this year's NFL draft. So I, I think for, for him, there's not a whole lot for him to gain coming out of this process. I mean, without a doubt, Brock had one of the most successful careers at UJ of all time. There's really not another player like him, not just in this draft class, but in, in every class beyond that. And so when you look at a guy like Brock, you said it comes down to preference, which I agree. Is he potentially someone that we could see starting on an NFL team immediately? I think when you're drafting a tight end that highly, you envision that. Now, traditionally, tight end has not been a position where you get immediate contributions. But then I think you look this past year, obviously, uh, Sam Laporta for the Detroit Lions comes in and catches 10 touchdowns. It's a huge role for them as they made the NFC Championship game. And then you look at, say, the Green Bay Packers. They got solid contributions out of Luke Musgrave and Tucker Kraft, who they took in the second and third round of last year's draft. So it's traditionally not a position you see a ton of early success at. I know Kyle Pitts did have a thousand yards receiving his first year, but has sort of struggled these last two years with the Atlanta Falcons. But if you're drafting a player to be top 15, top five, potentially even, you're drafting him with the idea that he's going to come in and play a pretty big role for you right away. And so I think that'll be the expectation, especially at a position like tight end, where if you're using a pick like that in the first round, it, it should be seen as an ad to make your team better. Mm -hmm. And now let's go ahead and move on to our next player. He was the darling of the Senior Bowl. He's an Athens all-time favorite. Let's go ahead and take a look at Lad McConkey. And I, I do want you guys to know that I pulled these rankings from CBS, and that brings me to my next point. So you look here, they have him as 94th overall and 17 at his position, but I wanted to compare this with his ESPN ranking, which had him ranked as the 7th highest ranked wide receiver, 38th overall. Connor, why such a drastic difference between the two rankings? I think the big thing is just size concerns with Ladd. He's not all that big. I think you saw he was listed there at 6 foot. I don't even know if he does officially hit 6 feet. And you talk about the injuries and just durability. I think that is a concern there, but you put on the tape, you see what this guy can do. Uh, a very productive player in college made big plays really the last three years for Georgia when he was on the field. And so uh, again, it's a very deep wide receiver class this year, not just at the top with guys like Marvin Harrison, Jr. Malik neighbors and Roma Dunze, but even guys further down Keon Coleman, AD Mitchell, Xavier worthy, it's going to be tough to separate those guys. And so if you're a lad, you need to go out there. If you run in the four threes, which I think would be a fantastic time for him. And obviously he's going to interview well, just given with where he has come from in the Georgia program. Uh, I think for him, if he's able to get clear on those medicals and those come back well, that's going to be a very good sign for lad on draft day. I will say, I don't know who did those CBS rankings, uh, unless Lad does get medically red flagged, which could possibly happen, he won't fall outside of the top 50. Mm -hmm. So it seems like Lad has already proved himself so much, not just from the Orange Bowl, but proved himself at the Senior Bowl. I mean, day one, he was the guy to watch. But it does seem like the big question here is how healthy is Lad? Is he going to be at full health when we see him at the Combine? How important is the medical clearing? I think it's huge for him. I think you've seen in recent years, N'Kobe Dean comes to mind. Uh, Darnell Washington, it happened to him last year. Guys that we thought could potentially be first round picks or at the very least high second round picks end up falling to the third round because of medical concerns. And Lad missed time this last season. He was not 100% in that game against Alabama. And I think it hurt Georgia that day not to have him out there. So it's certainly going to be something to watch going forward is, and again, the other part of this is, unfortunately, this is all done behind the scenes and there's no real lack of clarity when it comes to his medicals, as should be the case. 
So it could be very well. We go into draft day thinking, hey, this is a guy who might hear his name called in the first round. And then we're waiting late in the Friday night to hear his name called. So now let's move on to the other UJ wide receiver participating in this year's combine. And that is Marcus Rosamy Jackson, a guy that has gotten a lot of hype since the senior bowl. You see him here. He comes in at 152 overall and 24 for his position. However, if you watch Dog Nation Daily this week, there was a clip of them talking about Marcus Rosamy, the way he's built, his wingspan. He could be a guy that we see his stock improved through the combine. And when I had the chance to talk to Marcus at the senior bowl, he said that he really wanted to be able to showcase his acrobatic ability to catch the ball, especially those high back shoulder balls. Do you agree with that's the biggest thing that he needs to show whenever he goes to the combine? I, I think for him, again, if he's able to put down a good time in the 40, I think that might open some eyes. I think Marcus is a better athlete than perhaps he gets credit for. A good vertical jump would be welcomed for him, uh, given his size and frame and what he, as you just mentioned there, is going to be able to do. Uh, Marcus is going to interview very well. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. he had the injury his freshman year back in 2020, but he was an incredibly durable player for Georgia in each of these last three seasons. Uh, he's a guy that was a team leader for Georgia, voted a team captain this past year. And again, you know, probably a guy who's still going to be waiting here, his name called on day three, rounds four through seven. But you look the, at just the Super Bowl and, and guys who are able to carve out roles for themselves. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling caught a touchdown for the, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Chris Conley played a huge role for, for San Francisco in, in terms of special teams there. Marcus is going to be a guy that's going to be asked to come in and do similar things when he arrives at, at his next uh, NFL team or his first NFL team, rather. But I think he's a guy that is going to be a value add to a franchise. And it could be fourth round, fifth round, or sixth round. But if he's able to play well, he could certainly play himself up into uh, that fourth round there at the NFL draft. Yeah, based on what I've seen, I definitely think that Marcus is a sleeper pick out of the dogs that are going to the combine. And one point that you hit on is, he is going to interview well. When I interviewed him at the Senior Bowl, I was very surprised at how well-spoken he was and the way that he articulated his answers. So I really do think that whoever ends up picking him up, that is a great pick for them. But I do want to move on to the running backs, and we're going to start here with Dejon Edwards. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know right now, between both the CBS and ESPN rankings, neither Dejon or Kendall Milton were ranked at all. So let's go ahead and take a look at Dejon first. Connor, I think the big question here is, is it even realistic that he gets drafted? And I know you're going to bring up the North Georgia bias, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there so you can't. But is this a realistic idea for him? I think there's a there's a world where he gets drafted. He's going to have to come in and play special teams. But, again, he comes from a very good program at Georgia. They've produced a lot of good running backs over the years. Uh, James Cook had a breakout season this past year. DeAndre Swift did as well for the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, Dejon's not going to test super well. Uh, I think Kendall's maybe the guy that might be able to open some eyes uh, with his performance there in Indianapolis. But Dejon is just a grinder, and he's going to be a guy that makes the team better. He's going to you know, probably be an undrafted free agent. It wouldn't surprise me if he is that. It also wouldn't surprise me if he finds a way to stick and land on an NFL team. Uh, this is a guy who's not super, super highly touted coming out as a high school prospect at Colquitt County. And all he did was lead Georgia in rushing uh, this past season and with an incredibly durable piece, an incredibly important piece to those national championship teams for Georgia. And, and so, you know, the fact that he's going to get a chance to meet with teams at the combine, go through drills, I think is going to be significant for him. I'm not saying he's going to test super well and do enough to, to vault himself into getting drafted. 
but he's a guy that's going to be able to sit down, meet with teams. And I think that's going to help him find a spot uh, where he can come in and help a team next year. So let's go and take a look at the other running back, Kendall Milton, because here's the thing. Kendall had an absolutely phenomenal orange bowl performance, but still doesn't find himself on the rankings. Why do we think that is? Injuries. He just struggled to stay healthy throughout his college career. And I think that really limited uh, how teams or how people see him. I, I think if you turn on the tape and watch what he did in the past six games or, or the final six games of his senior season there at Georgia, you see an NFL running back. And so I think this is going to be a guy that can come in. And if he does well at the combine test, well, because we understand he's going to interview very well and, and the background that he comes from, uh, that's going to impress teams. The red medical concerns are obviously going to be there, but if he comes in and tests well, that might send some people back to sort of review his tape and what he was doing at the end of his career. And, and I think it wouldn't be a surprise. Again, you know, running back is a devalued position in this day and age. Mm -hmm. I don't expect it to be a first round running back. I don't think there's going to be a running back taken in the top 50 picks. Mm -hmm. But I think Kendall is a guy who shows the ability to break tackles and, and do a lot of different things for you. I know some teams are going to want him to do a better job of catching the ball out of the backfield. I think that'll be important to highlight for him in drills, but he's a guy that I think if he goes and performs well in Indianapolis, I think could vault himself up into getting drafted. And you take a look at his frame, 6'2", 220, good frame for a running back. How important is 40 time going to be here in the combine? I think it's going to be massive because I think if he's able to show breakaway speed, that's going to help. Uh, you know, you think the shuttle there as well, start and stop ability is significant for running backs in this day and age. And so at 6'2", 220, again, he's not going to be a burner, but if you can get in that four, five, maybe four, low four, six range, I think that could possibly be a good time for him. He's not going to be a home run threat at the next level, but he is a guy that was consistently able to move the change this past year at Georgia. And if he's able to stay healthy, something he wasn't always able to do at Georgia, uh, you saw down the stretch how, how much of an impact player he could be. So let's go ahead and move on to Amarius Mims, a guy who seems to be a sure lock for a first-round pick. Uh, you take a look at him here, position rank number five, overall rank 24. Both ESPN and CBS have him going in round one. What does he need to show in Indianapolis, Connor? Uh, Amarius Mims is going to be the talk of the combine from Georgia players. Mm. Uh, I think people get a chance to see him up close in person. His size is, is one of one. And I think the big thing with him, and again, you can't really answer this at the combine, is just the lack of reps. Uh, only, I believe, eight career starts in his time at college. Uh, and so some of the tape is incredible. I, I think the Ohio State game uh, and the college football playoff in the 2022 season, he played very well against Georgia Tech to end the 2023 season. But uh, the ankle injury that he had this past season really limited him. And then he obviously leaves the Alabama game early on. I, I think if he had gotten a chance to finish out that game, one, maybe perhaps Georgia wins that game. But two, I, I think he's more certainly seen as a first round pick entering uh, the, the NFL draft. It, it's a very strong tackle class this year. Uh, I think there are maybe eight, nine guys that could go in the top 40 picks. And so Marius is going to have to answer a lot of questions when he gets to the combine. He's going to need to show out, but I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to test really well there and walking out of the combine. We're going to see Amarius Mims is one of the real winners of this process. And moving on, we're going to go to who I consider to be the epitome of a DGD. That is Cedric Van Parent Granger. Now centers in the NFL. Those are guys that can stick around for a while He's third at his position, 85 overall. What's the ceiling in the floor for SVP? 
Yeah, I, I think, again, it's going to depend down on how he goes and how he performs. They're obviously Cedric, an incredible leader for this Georgia mm -hmm. uh, program, a multi-time captain, 44 career starts to his name, ha has done it all. Uh, probably not going to be the first center off the board. That's going to be ja uh, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, who was down at the Senior Bowl and played really, really well down there. Cedric's not the biggest guy in the world, but I think center's maybe the one mm -hmm. position where you play with that. Uh, it's going to come down to team preference and how much they choose to value that center position. I think you're looking at a third round pick. Maybe he sneaks into the back half of the second round. If he's the clear, I think second center off the board. Uh, but I think you're looking at a third round or at worst, maybe an early fourth round pick, uh, a guy that incredibly durable at that center position and absolutely helped both Stetson Bennett and Carson Beck during his time at Georgia. So let me ask you something. A guy like SVP, we know that he is known for his leadership skills. And with some of the guys that we've gone over in the past, you talk about how they're going to interview well. How far does leadership and the ability to interview well, how far does that go in the draft? Does it even really matter? I think in certain spots it does. And I think for a guy like Cedric, uh, you've got a chance to to leave an impression on teams, on decision makers. And when you get into that third, third round, fourth round, you might, because you interview so well, might leave an impression on a scout who starts banging on the table like, hey, I, I totally believe in this guy. And I think he's someone mm -hmm. who can absolutely come in and help our team. Uh, conversely, I think those guys the at the top of the first round, it's not so much that you need to go in and interview well, maybe unless you're a quarterback, you just need to make sure that you don't interview poorly. And so it changes based on where I think you are as a draft prospect, but the further down you get as a draft prospect, you know, those third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounders, the better you are in interviews and meetings with teams. I think the more likely you are to leave an impression and thus encouraging them to draft you. So let's move on to our one defensive line member, Zion Logue. Like Kendall and Dejon, Zion was nowhere to be found on either the ESPN or CBS rankings. What does a guy like Zion need to do to, to get his name out there? Yeah, again, I think Zion is a guy who played a lot of snaps for Georgia, maybe not necessarily a star, but you know there just aren't a lot of 6'5", 300-pounders that have played as much football as Zion has. And I think you look at the pedigree of Georgia defensive linemen in recent years, and the way that they've done, uh, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, I think that's going to help Zion. And they're just, because of the lack of bodies like that, again, I'm not saying he's going to be a high-round draft pick, but when you get to the sixth or seventh round, you'll think, hey, can this guy be a rotational piece for us? Well, if you're able to do that at the University of Georgia, I think you're going to be able to potentially do that at the NFL level. And so while we might not be talking a lot about Zion right now, I think he is a guy that could ultimately get drafted simply because of the pedigree on that Georgia defensive line. All right, next we're going to take a look at Javon Bullard here. I think Javon is really, really interesting in this case, getting the chance to watch him at the Senior Bowl, seeing the different reactions. I feel like he's kind of everywhere on everybody's board, but CBS has him at three for his position, 43 overall. In what parts of the combine does Javon need to be successful in to stay within that range? Uh, he needs to run a very good 40 and then obviously a 5-10-5 shuttle, uh, change of direction there. I think for that safety position, you want to see the long-term speed along with the ability to change direction there. Those are sort of the two things that they really look for. Maybe the three-cone drill as well for defensive backs. Uh, Javon's not going to be a great tester. He's a far better football player is than he is an athletic specimen. And so it wouldn't surprise me if Javon, even though I expect him to, to be liked by teams, obviously has some things to answer for. He did have a DUI in his time at college. Mm. But I think he is someone who, again, his tape is better than he is a tester. And so while some might say, you know, he falls a little bit or the, the athletic numbers don't necessarily match up with what you saw in tape, 
I still think he's a guy who's safely going to be drafted in, in that third round there for Georgia, uh, be a, a contributor, a guy who can do a lot of different things because he did it at the University of Georgia. So let's move on to Kamari Lasseter, a guy who's projected right now to go in about the second round, 35 overall, seven for his position. Do you think that with a stellar combine performance, we could see Kamari potentially creep into the end of the first round, or is is he a for sure second round shot? I think you look at the teams drafting at the end of the first round, in particular the Detroit Lions and the San Francisco 49ers, with cornerback being, I think, a clear need for both of those teams, you're going to see uh, a lot of corners come off the board there at the end of the first round. And I think if Kamari goes out and has a very, a very strong combine, he can certainly find himself in there. There's not a whole lot of separation at the top of this cornerback class, but after I think the first six, seven guys, it does fall off a little bit. And so if there's a run on corners, you know, Terry and Arnold, uh, Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, who really impressed people down there at the Senior Bowl, uh, Ennis Rakestraw from Missouri. Once you get past those first couple of names, there's a drop off that position. So if Kamari's able to test well, show out really well in that 40-yard dash, I think because of his physicality and what he did at Georgia, you're going to see a team take a chance on him potentially at the end of round one. But he, maybe more than anyone here that we talk about, needs to test well athletically to answer some of the questions that he's going to have if he's to be a first-round pick. So we're going to end our individual analysis here with Tyke Smith. When you take a look at Tyke, when I had the chance to talk to him at the senior role, he said he really wanted to show his versatility, that he could play high and down in the box. Connor, is this something you agree with? Yeah, I think Tyke is maybe a guy who's going to be a nickel cornerback at that next level, something he did at Georgia. But also, it's important for him to show the versatility that he can play a safety. I thought he did that down in Mobile, was one of the winners coming out of the Senior Bowl. And because of his physicality and the straight line speed that he's able to play with, I think he's going to impress some teams there. Again, you know, I don't think he goes before Javon Bullard does. I think Bullard is seen as a more valuable piece to the next level. But Tyke Smith is absolutely a guy who, you know, coming into the year, there were some people who thought he wasn't even going to be a starter for this team and they were going to go with Janelle Aguero. I think he's firmly in that late third, fourth round range. And you know he's going to be able to play special teams. You know he's going to be able to do that a lot. Obviously going to have to get that ACL checked out as he did have an injury when he arrived at Georgia back in the 2021 season. But if that comes back clean, I think Tyke is a guy who could, you know, hear himself drafted, you know, in that fourth, maybe early fifth round, which given where he was at the start of the 2023 season, I think would be a pretty big win for him. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and wrap up this content. I want to end on this. 11 dogs going to the combine, fourth tied for fourth most with Texas of any school. How does going to the University of Georgia separate these players when they get the chance to show off in the combine? Where do you see that separation? I think teams know what a Georgia product is at this point in time. This is Kirby Smart's you know, eighth season of sending guys. They've had 34 players drafted in the last three years. It's the most ever uh, in a three-year period. And so I think with Kirby and, and the Georgia players, there's a certain level of toughness, professionalism that is expected from them. Uh, it is, you know, you hear players say it uh, NFL-like. Uh, they want to make practice harder than it is the games. And that work-like attitude, I think, is something that really prepares Georgia players for that next level. And it's not a surprise to see them continue to put players into the next uh, into the NFL on a year-in, year-out basis. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to dogs in the Super Bowl. And there was a certain direction that I wanted to take this conversation today, but after going back and watching last week's show when Connor and I gave our 
Super Bowl predictions. I feel like we need to use this as an opportunity to establish that we did not give the dogs enough credibility. We had made up some stats, or I had made up some stats for dog catches in the Super Bowl at one and a half and tackles at 0.5. And I mean, I want to show you this here on the screen. Jermaine King, somebody that watches the show, is very interactive on on social media. He tagged me in this last week, and I think this really sums up the essence of what went down. He said, at Mansell Kaylee, I think Conley and Meikle heard what Connor had to say or said to you about their over-unders. That is Jermaine King. Jermaine, thanks for putting us out there and calling us out. I'm I'm a big believer that you should call people out when it needs to be done. And I think that was rightfully deserved. Obviously, Meikle had the game-winning catch. Three receptions for 57 yards. Conley had a catch and a special teams tackle as well as Charlie Warner. Connor, I mean, just... How impressed were you overall with the dogs in the Super Bowl performance? Who's Connor? My name is C-O-N-N-O-R, not E-R. I don't know who the E-R he's referring to. He must be uh, watching a different show. But yeah, no, Miko proved us wrong. He had a great Super Bowl, three catches, 57 yards, really jump-started uh, the Kansas City offense there with the 52-yard reception in the first half. I, you know, Chris Conley was someone who, uh, and look, I made some money on this game. Uh, I would have loved to have seen San Francisco win uh, because mm-hmm. Conley is a guy who I, so much of his Georgia story is that catch in the 2020 SEC championship game. I thought he played a fantastic game for San Francisco. I had an 18 yard catch uh, to get the sticks moving early on, on their opening drive. And then made a couple of huge special teams plays for them. And I think really epitomized what I, I think a Georgia football player is at the next level. Obviously Malik Herring gets a, a, a tackle in that game there as well. Charlie Warner played a ton of snaps for San Francisco, really thriving as a blocking tight end. And, and it just sort of speaks to, yeah, we focus so much on the Matthew Stafford's Jalen Carter's uh, uh, of the world, uh, James Cook, for example, but a lot of the guys, the 55 in total that are NFL players from Georgia a lot of them are able to excel in their ultra specific roles. And I thought you saw that play out in the Super Bowl. And then obviously I think it's a big win for Georgia for me, Cole Hardman, who had a really difficult year, began mm-hmm. with the Jets, had two fumbles in that game against Buffalo, catch the game winning touchdown pass. That's a huge moment for him and something he's surely going to remember for the rest of his life. First, let me say this. I never, ever, ever, ever want to hear you complain about your name being spelled wrong. I mean, my name is Kaylee, and anytime I do any sort of appearance on Dog Nation Daily, I'll always go back and read the comments. And I mean, it is everything but the spelling that I have. And I feel like I have the most simple version of the name Kaylee. So let's go ahead and take those name complaints down because, I mean, I have I have to tell people whenever I go through drive throughs my name is Kaylee, I'm like, I just just put K on there. I will answer to anything remotely close at this point because I just have expectations that nobody is going to be able to spell my name correct ever. But maybe you need to raise your expectations. Raise them. Like if, again, if you, if you set K, the K, bar K, low, you can't be disappointed. Your name is on the show. It's the Dog Nation offseason show with Kaylee Menzel. Like I, I, names are easy. Names are important. It's literally right there on the screen. We see it multiple times. Kaylee, K-A-Y-L-E-E. But I feel like there's only two ways that you could really spell your name, and there's like a million ways that you could spell my name. So, again, I don't take it personally. 
I've seen C-O-N-O-R, I've seen C-O-N-N-E-R, and then of course there's the correct way to spell Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R. Well, looking back at last week's show, even though I feel like we didn't give the dogs that much credit, I think if I could go back and and change anything, knowing what I know now, we would have added an over-under for how many times Mike could complain about Taylor Swift chugging whatever it was. Um, at the Super Bowl because I probably would have put it at like one and a half and I think he knocked that out on our on our Monday morning call and all I kept thinking to myself and don't get me wrong Mike Griffith is a really good friend of mine I have so much respect from him and I for him and I really have learned a lot from him but knowing what I know now please remind me to never invite Mike Griffith to go out with me because if he was disappointed by what he saw from Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl he would not want to see me turn a long drink upside down. Uh, you know, girls are allowed to have fun. Uh, and uh, Taylor Swift had a great time at the Super Bowl, it seemed like. I think she was thrilled that Travis won. Uh, I think Travis had a great time after the Super Bowl uh, based on some of the videos <laughs> we've seen. Uh, you know, let people have fun. We don't need to, to legislate this kind of stuff and, and, and get all upset uh, and faux outrage about Taylor Swift enjoying a beverage at a game. So I do have to ask you, what are your thoughts on the fact that it was the most watched telecast of all time, I believe, other than the moon landing or right there with the moon landing? Do you would you concur that that has to do with the Taylor Swift effect? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to note how some of these numbers are now tabulated, uh, you know, with streamers and things like that, it's easier to juice these numbers up a little bit more. But I think the NFL absolutely leaned into Taylor Swift. I know uh, one of our coworkers, Brandon Adams, uh, his daughter was super excited to watch the Chiefs because of the presence of Taylor Swift. And, and so I, I know we maybe lost the plot a little bit here, but uh <laughs> Honestly, like, I thought it was cool to see Taylor celebrate and have fun, uh, you know, and not just Taylor, but I think there are other celebrities there as well. Jason Kelsey had a great time. I, look, I Every time I saw him in his overalls, I thought that was fantastic yeah. as well. So it seemed like a lot of people had a great time at the Super Bowl, unless you were uh, cheering for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I mean, I personally, we won't touch on it too much because it happened a few days ago and I want to move on from it. I felt like the game itself was just really hard to watch. I didn't think that either team performed super well, but the overtime made everything worth it. And then watching that last play, I would say that I found myself rooting for the 49ers, but watching Nicole make that last catch, I mean, you, you couldn't help but be excited for him. I just couldn't believe that it ended on that play. After everything that had happened, the going back and forth, that that's going to be the final play of the game, just wide open for a touchdown, which he claims he didn't even realize that that was the game-winning touchdown. And so I think all of Dog Nation was super excited for Nicole. And, you know, regardless of who you were going for, that's a moment that all Georgia fans can celebrate. Yeah, I, again, it's huge for Miko, a guy who had a really difficult season. Uh, I believe he's the second player in NFL history to score a touchdown for the Jets and score a touchdown in the Super Bowl in the same season. Uh, the Jets famously have only been to one Super Bowl back in Super Bowl three over 50 years ago, 55 years ago now at this point. And so, uh, you know, for him to have that moment, and that's a win for Georgia. That's a guy who, you know, came through, wasn't a wide receiver when he first got to college, played cornerback in his first year. Uh, for Georgia, obviously had a big catch in the 2017-18 national championship game, which Georgia unfortunately did not win. 
but for him to keep going and keep persevering and then to hear teammates talk about Mecole afterwards and, and the energy that he brings, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey in particular raved about Mecole and, and the positive energy that he brings. I think that's a great sign for Georgia and a great selling point that Mecole was a guy developed by Georgia and you see some of the traits transfer over from his time at Georgia into helping the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm -hmm. So with that, we are going to start a new segment. It's going to start today. Leading up to spring practice, we are going to do a position-by-position breakdown of who's next, what can we expect when spring practice comes around. So we're going to start today with the running backs and the wide receivers. So let's go ahead and take a look at a way-too-early depth chart for UGA's running back position. Starting with the transfer portal pickup, Trevor Etienne. It's been talked a lot between shows on Dog Nation that he is the guy to watch for, not just out of our transfer portal pickups, but from somebody that is able to make an immediate impact. You also see the red shirt, red shirt sophomore Branson Robinson, as well as sophomore Roderick Robinson, got the chance to see Cash Jones a little bit last season. Then, of course, Andrew Paul, who was injured for most of last season there at the bottom. Is Trevor Etienne the guaranteed starter, Connor? I think he's going to be the guy that commands the most carries. Now, over the course of the season, you know, maybe they get Roger Robinson involved. He's someone who I think had a very strong finish to the 2023 season and then has continued that into fall workouts. Branson Robinson still recovering from his injury he suffered last August, not expected to be a full go for spring practice here for Georgia, which is coming up in March. And so with Trevor, yes, and there's some newness with him coming in from the Florida program. But I think the explosive ability is going to be something that Georgia tries to get the most out of with this running back room. And in Trevor in particular, uh, he's a guy that Georgia just hasn't really unleashed in a while. I know they had James Cook here, but they didn't maybe lean on him in the way you've seen, say, the Buffalo Bills do at the next level. And I think because of where this running back room is and how young it is, I think they're going to maybe lean on Trevor a little bit more than they have, at least to start the season, than they have in years past. So when you look at that list, we know that UGA likes to use two running backs, some of them dealing with injury right now. If Trevor Etienne is the starter, who's number two? I think right now I would maybe lean Roger Robinson emerging as that number two running back. I think the spring is going to be very important for both him and Andrew Paul to sort of establish themselves in that way. And then over the summer, you bring in uh, Nate Frazier and Dwight Phillips Jr. to go along with Chauncey Bowens, who's already on campus. Uh, I think it's going to be a very competitive room. I think it's going to be something that changes over the course of the season. And when you consider that you look who Georgia brought in and where this running back room was a season ago, injuries are going to happen. And so it's going to be important for these guys to stay healthy and have everyone in this room ready because you never know when someone's going to be called upon. I think last year they had to play Dylan Bell at this running back position while they got good contributions from him. I do think that maybe limited his development at the wide receiver position. And as the season wore on and injuries mounted at the wide receiver position, I think there's maybe some wish that you had seen Dylan take on a bigger role and done more, especially in that game against Alabama. So when you look at the depth of the position, how strong would you say this particular position group is in comparison to others? Um, I think you would still, from a depth standpoint, it's in a really good spot in terms of total bodies there. Uh, but again, I think the lack of a proven contributor there, even at the running at the wide receiver position where, yeah, you do lose Ladd and you lose Marcus, you bring back guys who've just played for Georgia and, and you know, while expectations are very high for Trevor Etienne 
And until you see it in a Georgia uniform, uh, I think there's maybe a right to be a little bit skeptical of what you're going to see or what the ceiling is going to be for Trevor. I know Georgia is expecting him to be a really good player, uh, but they've got some big games that first month of the season against Clemson and Atlanta at Kentucky at Alabama. And they're going to need Trevor to be ready to go from the jump. And that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch, not just in spring practice or in fall camp, but once the season gets underway, how quickly Trevor is able to get things going for Georgia. So let's go ahead and move on to our other skill position. That's wide receiver. Wide receiver seems to be a position that has a lot of question marks around it. Feels like UGA is bringing back a lot of good players, but I don't know if you would consider any of them to be great. You see in that First wide receiver position, you've got Ra Ra Thomas and Colby Young, the transfer portal pickup out of Miami. In that second wide receiver position, it seems it's going to be Dylan Bell with London Humphreys, another transfer portal pickup from Vanderbilt. And in the slot position, you've got Dominic Lovett and Anthony Evans, who we got the opportunity to see in not just the SEC championship, but also the Orange Bowl. Connor, you look at those six guys on the list. I know you love Dylan Bell. He seems to be the darling of this wide receiver group. But out of this, out of these six right here, apart from Dylan Bell, in your mind, who is going to be the person that ultimately has to step up? I think Ra-Ra Thomas is someone that's very interesting. A guy who came in as a transfer last year from Mississippi State and just had a real disaster, I would say maybe probably six, seven months. And it wasn't until the, really the Kentucky game where he started to show some things that he could possibly do. And then unfortunately he gets hurt against Tennessee with a foot injury that essentially sidelines him for the rest of the season. So I think this offseason is going to be really big for both him and Dominic Lovett. Lovett, Georgia's the leading returning receiver there. And, and so you need to see, I think, because of the fact that those guys, they've been in this program for a year. They're not so new and fresh anymore. Those transfer receivers, as much as we're going to talk about Colby Young and London Humphreys and Michael Jackson the third. I think their presence as second-year players at Georgia is going to be significant, especially in working with Carson Beck and getting another year of chemistry and bonds developed between the two. Yeah, I mean, interesting enough, four of the six guys on that slide were all transfers. Is that something that we potentially see as a trend moving forward, or do you think that UGA will focus more on wide receiver in the recruitment process? I I don't think Georgia wants it to be a trend, but I think they've just come to accept that this is the reality of this wide receiver position at Georgia. They're going to have to use the transfer portal. They're going to try and land guys out of the high school ranks. Uh, ideally, they'd want to build that way. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think you just look at this position and the way that it's gone, and particularly, and Justin Tell has talked a lot about this with NIL and, and the impact that it's had on that position. I think it's just something that uh, this is just what reality is, and Georgia's doing its best to adapt to it. But long-term, I think they want to get to a place where, yes, you are consistently bringing in elite high school wide receiver prospects. Just because you look at the rest of this roster and the way that they build it, they do that at quarterback. For the most part, they do that at running back. They definitely do it on the offensive and defensive lines. They want to build through high school recruiting when it comes to wide receiver. But I will say the transfer portal, when it comes to who is available, wide receiver does seem to be a position that is readily so. So if you had to give this position group a grade, you are Professor Connor Riley and you have to grade them based on right now, what grade would you give them? I'd give them a B. Uh, they've got good depth. And while it hasn't all been proven at Georgia, you have gotten some guys to do some big things and play in some big games. And so I think with Dylan Bell coming back, 
with Anthony Evans being a guy that I think Georgia really needs his speed to emerge for another season. Uh, I, I think I give it a B right now. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know if they have enough to get it to an A, but I think it's going to be on Carson back to elevate maybe this wide receiver room as a whole. So that will be the first part of our spring position preview. We're going to preview more positions for the next three weeks. So let's end on this. Talk about some breaking news today. Now, I, I I have to tell you guys, I have played this before. This was actually how I learned all of the SEC teams. I think I played with my dad when I was like maybe five or six. And he always loves to say that the only team I couldn't pronounce was Mississippi State. But that is how I managed to learn all of the SEC. So let's go ahead and take a look at the trailer that EA Sports dropped today. It's College Football 25. Take a look. over a decade I think everybody thought that we were going to get the opportunity to see this trailer during the college football national championship but it drops today it's going to be out this summer I'm a really avid candy crusher my good friend Connor Riley can tell you that it, it it's it's a problem and I'm willing to admit that I have the problem and I I imagine that for men this is their candy crush and when this drops you might not see them for two weeks so Connor, as a man that's over 25, and I'm sure that you are excited, what are your thoughts on this finally dropping today? Let's, women can play this game, too. Uh, this is not just a male- I'm not saying that. But- that sounds like what you're saying. Uh, I'm super excited for this. As someone who still plays NCAA 14, uh, I'm so glad it's coming back. The reality is the NCAA 14 game was actually kind of bad in comparison to some of the other NCAA games. And I am interested in seeing how they update it. But I think just the fact that we're going to get this, that there's going to be a playoff in there. You know, we'll see what they do with recruiting. I doubt they're going to go full uh, Grand Theft Auto recruiting, which I would love. But uh, I'm super excited for this. Just give me a date. And I, I can't wait for this summer and, and just uh, a, a, another chance to keep playing again. You know, so pe- so many people say, oh, I want to play as, uh, you know, Carson Beck, uh, Trevor Etienne, uh, Caleb Downs, whoever you want to play with or play as. I want to I want to develop programs. I want to take Cal and win like six straight national championships. <laughs> Uh, they're not going to be FCS teams in this game, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd love to lead, leave Harvard uh, to multiple national championships. But I am excited for this. I can't wait for it. And I think it's going to make the college football fan experience all the better. Wait, I think you've told me this before. Cal is your team, correct? Uh, it was my team in the dynasty that I was playing in. Uh, I had actually left uh, Cal for Texas recently. Uh, you know, just they made they made too good of an offer. Uh, I had an all-time quarterback who was graduating. I think it was just time to move on. So I had accomplished everything that I had wanted to at Cal. I, I have to admit, I'm pretty disappointed that you haven't asked me to be your agent yet because with all these deals going on, you need somebody to represent you. You need a publicist. So we can talk about that offset. What offense do you run? I, I have to ask. Are you a triple uh, option? It, it changes year to year. Uh, the triple option, just it, it's a little too difficult uh, on um, – on NCAA 14. Uh, Oregon's offense was incredibly popular. I like Ole Misses a lot as well. Oklahoma is the current playbook that I would be using. Okay, but uh, just in general, with NIL, this whole thing happening, how are the it two going to intertwine? Uh, you know, again, I they have group licensing deals. That was actually one of the original things that I think kickstarted this current NIL era and also a reason that the game itself went away. 
the reality is, and I know at various points in the development of this game, there was talk of players boycotting it. Other than maybe five or six guys, you know, you're not going to be able to command major dollars to be in this game. And so for most of the players out there, they're going to sign off on doing this and being in this game and getting a, you know, I believe it is a, a, around a six, $700 stipend. I know in my time of covering this, when the last game was released, Georgia players were thrilled that they were still in a video game. And so I think as we get this started again and get it hopefully going on a year to year basis, I think once we get past this newness and maybe players saying, Oh, well, I can get some extra cash from this just the fact that you're in a video game and the coolness that comes with that, I, I think is the biggest thing here that I'm looking for. And because ultimately, you know, player people that play this game, the diehards that I think help bring this game back, they're not playing it to play with Oscar Delp or uh, Chmah Munden or other players at, at other schools. They're doing this to, to run dynasties, to, to stay up till all hours of the night trying to land five-star players that they themselves have created. I think Scott Van Pelt had the best tweet about this. Uh, you know, he uh, created Stanford Steve and can't wait to start recruiting Stanford Steve again, showing this game to his kids, staying up at all hours of the night to play it. I think that's what really symbolizes this game. It's what connects a lot of people with it. And I think it's the biggest reason why we're ultimately able to bring it back. Connor, I have been filming with you for quite some time now. I have produced a lot of the shows that you have been on. And I have to say, I have never seen you so passionate about a topic. Like the ways that your eyes just lit up when you were talking about that. It makes me happy for you that this is coming out. And I'll continue to ask you about this from now on because I have not seen you be excited about something like that in a long time. So I'm, I'm excited. I hope you lead your Texas Longhorns to many, many, many championships and make us lots and lots of money. Hold on. I can't, you can't start at Texas. You can't start at a place like Georgia. You got to build your way up. I'm probably going to be starting in a Sunbelt school, maybe Georgia state, you know, stay local. Uh, Kennesaw state's going to be in the game. So, you know, maybe support the owls. Hootie who, Hootie who. Uh, uh, looking forward to, to playing it. So I do have to get a new console, which, which won't be cheap, but uh, I, I very much look forward to it. I'm sure it'll be worth it in the long run, but that is the dog nation off season. I'm Kaylee Mansell with Connor Riley. Thank you all for joining us. We will be right back here on the pages of dognation.com next Thursday, 7 o'clock. And if any of you happen to chug a beer or a wine or whatever your drink of preference is this weekend, make sure to tag Connor and I in it. We would definitely love to see it. Look, there goes Connor right now. I've got a straw in mine, so I can't I can't do that. But maybe one day I'll let you guys see my uh, unnecessary talent that I have. But, again, thanks for joining us on the Dog Nation offseason. We will see you right back here next Thursday, 7 o'clock.